0: Side and broken, peace and
1: Good morning. What a great day to be together as a church family, as brothers and sisters, as others are are making their way in. Just thankful for each one of you and how God has been so very kind to our congregation uh, during this season and just want you to know how much you are loved and appreciated. And those of you at home, we think of you often and uh, again, look forward to the day when we can all be one assembly. Greetings, those who are here for the first time. We always have visitors and I'm about to give a lot of announcements, more than usual, and just say that was a lot. A good, way, a good thing to do would be to fill out a welcome card and put it in one of the back two uh, boxes and then you'll get it all in a Friday email, a good way to know some touch points during the week, just how to, how to better connect here. So that's the welcome card. Now today, for those of you who are very interested in church governance, uh, today is our annual meeting, very important given our polity. So immediately following uh, the service here, I'll try to not preach long and you won't be judged if you need to leave or if you're not a member, but we will have our member meeting, and there are a lot of important things on the ballot, uh, not least of which is Pastor Jim Pavko will be on the ballot as our church grows. We're expanding the team uh, to better shepherd uh, what God is entrusting to us, so that is the annual meeting today. You'll also hear Denny's testimony in a few minutes, and Denny's up for re-election on the board, just thankful for his steadiness and has brought just such a Uh, Such great wisdom to our board in in the short time that I've known him. So annual meeting today, immediately after the service, we'll take just a couple minute break and then reassemble to go through that. It is the last Sunday for K through 12, not going to affect this congregation as much, but uh, this summer the the, uh, K through 12 will be in with us. So there'll be more uh, precious souls here and then the young ones will carry on their programming as normal. Now this week, a number of things coming up. Firstly, a college group at the Watsons. That's Tuesday the 25th. So college students, you've been away. Now you're back home. You'd like to get to know uh, others in that group. Uh, So they're gonna meet the second and fourth Tuesdays of every month at the Watsons house. They'd love to have you there. Again, contact Pastor Caleb, but Tuesday the 25th, college age group at the Watsons. Wednesday the 26th, elder-led prayer that we need to stay focused, right, that our our power comes from God, that we're completely dependent on him, um, that without him we have nothing. So elder-led prayer is just a time of that, to posture ourselves before the Lord, to pray for our church, our region, uh, and our country. That's Wednesday the 26th. Youth, you'll have your normal programming. The 27th, Young Professionals. You say this is, you know, your graduate students into, you know, age 35. Uh, That uh, group meets once a month off to a great start. It is this week, Thursday, uh, the 27th, Young Professionals here at the church. And on the same night is women's desserts. So women of all ages, you say, I want a little bit of a touch point beyond uh, Sunday mornings. Please come Thursday, the 27th, for women's desserts. So a lot before you there. And then also a little bit further out, the church workday is on June 5th, Saturday, June 5th, 8.30 to noon. And a fun time to serve, um, you know, kind of side by side. We plant flowers. We do some general maintenance, uh, kind of cleaning the building and the windows. Great time to serve as a church family. A uh, sign-up will be going out uh, to know exactly what our job is. Uh, last year, I weed-whacked the East Ditch, uh, which was, uh, you know, probably gonna be back on that this year. So uh, church workday, Saturday, June 5th. And finally, VBS sign-up. Don Garrett, there's not a better children's director anywhere that I know of. Don Garrett is great. You can clap for Don Garrett, absolutely. <laughs> so we have a, a first-class VBS and a lot of first-class volunteers and sign-ups are going great, but we just wanna keep that before you. The last day to sign up is June 6th. VBS is gonna be great this summer, having uh, lost last year. So those things before you, we now turn our attention to what is uh, most important in the whole universe. That is what God has done in Jesus. And so I'll turn it to Pastor Jim who will call us to worship.
2: Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus, this morning. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I'd fall apart. For you're the one that guides my heart. For
3: Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God, how I need you
2: Where sin runs deep Your sin runs
3: deep Your grace is more Where grace is found is where you
0: are, and where you are.
2: song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you.
3: Because Jesus, you're my hope and stay.
2: defense you're my
3: one defense my righteousness oh god how i need
2: you amen would you read the apostles creed with me this morning church we believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord Jesus in songs.
3: Worthy is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The lion of Judah conquered the grave, he is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy?
0: I hold forever those He loves, oh, He does. And does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does.
3: Is anyone worthy? Is anyone home? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Judah who conquered the grave, He is Savior's root and the Lamb who died to ransom
0: the slave.
4: Denny Abuel and I'm a member of this church for about nine years. We've been attending here for about ten years. It's, it's hard to believe. I know many of you and I appreciate the opportunity to serve with you. I'm excited about the opportunity to, cons- uh, to continue serving on this elder board. The last three years have been challenging and rewarding and God has been so faithful. Here's my story so far. I used to be academically gifted but spiritually, I've always been a very slow learner. By God's grace and mercy, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. We participated in all facets of church life, and I remember learning that God loved me and had a plan for my life. I agreed that I was sinful and separated from God, destined for hell with no hope apart from Jesus Christ, but that through Him, I could know and experience God's love and plan for my life. So I accepted Christ, and I wanted to please Him. I wanted to earn the reward of heaven, and I feared hell, but I missed the point that these two things are benefits, but Christ Himself is the actual prize. So I fell into a trap of works-based righteousness, like I was going to live by the power of Denny and somehow present the whole thing to God as some sort of sacrifice or giant thank you card for Jesus. I saw faith as this one-time transaction allowing me to access the death and resurrection of Christ for salvation. But I totally missed that I could enjoy relationship with Christ and access the power of his life by faith and daily surrender. Instead of living a victorious, joy-filled Christian life, I failed repeatedly and eventually stumbled mightily in my teen years and ran like the prodigal brother in Luke 15. I hit a low point in the form of a serious car accident. Thankfully, my Heavenly Father and my Earthly One both welcomed me back with open arms. I told you I was a slow learner. Uh, unfortunately, I eventually turned back to works-based righteousness and spent years approaching life as the prodigal older brother, silently being inflated by pride and judging others for their mistakes. I hit another low point, losing nearly a quarter million dollars in an ill-advised business venture. As the consequence of my Denny-centered decision-making played out, I learned much about God's redemptive work in every situation. I learned about Becky's personal holiness and my own selfish pride. Eventually, all of this led me to take a job on the west side, and eventually for us to move our family here from Akron where I learned that making myself available and letting go, even of good things, in obedience to Christ, leads to much better and more fulfilling things. We count this church and all of you in our lives as part of that blessing. All along the way, God's hand has been evident, mostly saving me from myself. He's blessed me with my family and Becky and her family, who've been instrumental in my approach to youth ministry and life. All along the way, he has blessed me with men who have discipled me, encouraged me, and inspired me to forget myself and pursue Christ. And somehow, by his grace, I usually end up getting involved and leading where I serve. Each week before I jump into the fray, I try to remind myself by reading and following, uh, reading the following, mostly aspirational statement. In Christ, I am free and completely accepted. I have the freedom to serve rather than be served. I am being saved by his life through the same simple faith that allowed me to be saved by his death and resurrection. Therefore, my purpose in life is to abide in Jesus and glorify him. My commitment is to live on purpose, loving everyone around me by serving them, encouraging them, and challenging them to follow Jesus. This is who I am and what I am about. Many of you who know me well know just how aspirational that statement is. Presently, Becky and I are approaching our 26th wedding anniversary. I have the privilege of leading and serving her as we discipled David, Jonathan, Stephen, Philip, Matthew, and now Kara, who we like the most, (laughs) contributing to the fellowship of our small group, loving every son and daughter of this church as they pass through the youth group, studying the word with a handful of men on a weekly basis, serving on the elder board and serving in senior leadership where I am employed at Bravo Wellness. I'm praying for another opportunity to return to Central Asia to encourage and equip our brothers and sisters who are the epitome of faithfulness and sacrifice as they endure many hardships for the sake of Christ. Well, that's my story so far. I'm honored to be an elder here where I serve with men I truly admire for the edification of people I truly love in service of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I just wanted to repeat something I wrote last time I gave my testimony three years ago. Whether or not I am affirmed to continue on our elder board, I promise to be faithful and obedient to Christ and to love you in this church by abiding in him and allowing him to live life through me. That's a bold claim, that's a bold declaration So I need each of you to hold me accountable and pray for me as I will be praying for you. Thank you for your time this morning. God bless you. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. You do not faint or grow weary. Your understanding is unsearchable. Father, this morning we adore you We adore the beauty of your magnificent creation. We adore you because only you can change the hearts of men. We adore you because your power and might are the only thing that match your love and your gentle care for us. You are worthy. And we stand, we sit, we kneel, we bow before you this morning, in humble adoration. Your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, forgive us this morning. In our selfishness and pride, we often mistreat those we love the most. Sometimes we fail to even see others who are made in your image. We walk right past opportunities to love and to serve and to witness. Father, forgive us. We thank you that through Christ, you have forgiven us. Help us to be the kind of church that can confess and repent our sins to one another. Father, this morning we're thankful that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Father, we thank you this morning for simple pleasures, for the beauty of a spring morning. We thank you for the health and peace and prosperity of this church. May we use it to magnify your name, to magnify your word, to draw many into a saving, precious relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for so many men and women who serve this church so well. Just pray that you would encourage us as we encourage each other. God, we know you supply every need of ours according to your riches and glory in Jesus Christ. And this morning we do pray for some of our needs Lord we pray for those who are experiencing trials whether they're physical emotional spiritual Lord we're, we are hurting and broken people and we just lay our needs at the feet of Jesus Lord this morning I just I lift my dear brother Zach Perkins to you who's, who's having surgery this week he's come through so many treatments so well and we just trust him to your care. We pray that the surgery would go well. We pray that the physicians would uh, do everything right. That you'd give him a peace that passeth all understanding. That this church would, this church body would would care for him well and, and remember him this week. Lord, we lift the vacation Bible school to you, as Austin announced. What a great opportunity to love our neighbors. There's so many growing neighborhoods around us, so many children and families, young families. I pray that you would touch each child's heart and draw their families towards you. We take great comfort in knowing that you are not far away. You are very close. Father, this morning we pray that your word would be exalted, that Christ would be magnified, that you would use Austin penetrate our hearts with your word that the Holy Spirit would convict us and change us and use us for the wonderful beautiful matchless name of Jesus it's in his name we pray amen now if you could stand with me this morning I'm going to read two short passages the first one is Psalm 65 verses 5 through 8 I'm going to be in the ESV if you could join me there if you're able You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Amen. Would you now turn to Luke 8? I'm going to read verses 22 to 25. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Amen. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Denny. We begin today with a thought experiment. Let's say we have two middle-aged women, and both... Well, shall I say, one's a Christian, one's not a Christian, and both receive a bad diagnosis. Say, does the one who's a Christian have anything else inside her that helps her through that trial, anything more than the non-Christian does? Or again, you could take two men, one a Christian, one a non-Christian, and they both work at the same company, company, and here come the sweeping job cuts. Say, both are let go. Does the one who's a Christ follower have anything else down inside him that kind of kicks in at that moment, that stabilizes things. Say, two expectant mothers, one a Christian, one a non-Christian, both go through the pain of a miscarriage. Does the one who is a Christian, does she have something deep down inside her that carries her through that great storm and trial? That's what we're looking at today, to say this question of where is your faith? Not so much a saving faith, but those of us who are Christians, does our faith kick in? When we go through those rocky seas that we read about, do we say, you know what, I have Christ as my anchor and that carries the day? That's the question before us. Now before we get there, it's a passage like this where I feel some need to address how this falls on the modern ear. You say, some of you, always glad that there are non-Christians here, but some of you, you know, this passage, if you're not a Christian, can make you very angry. You say, I can't believe that, that you know, there, there are people who actually believe this. I mean, we, we all know winds and waves, they're inanimate things, they don't have minds, and they don't respond to human voices, and we've got all these crazy Christians that actually think this happened. But then I think, maybe even worse yet, that some of us, we are Christians, but we're a little embarrassed of this. We say, well, I, I know that's in there, Jesus calming the storm do I really have to believe that? I mean, after all, I'm a modern person and a well-educated person. I mean, do we we really have to go there? And I hope just a few introductory remarks kind of take those corners off and to say, not only do we believe it, but we do so with great confidence, and out of that flows a real faith. So just by way of preface comments, I said, I hope I'm not the only pastor in, in America who has preface comments to his sermons, but again, I just hope this is helpful for the times in which we live. So first, those who would say things like, well, you know, I read Luke 8.22 to, you know, 8.25, and uh, that didn't happen because it violates the laws of nature. That's usually the conversation. You know, don't we know that that kind of thing violates the laws of nature? The problem with that, as has been pointed out, that that person confuses explanation and agency. Those are two very different things. The laws of science, which we most certainly believe in, and are thankful for that God made an, order, uh, an ordered universe, you say they don't cause anything they explain what takes place. That's what a law of nature is. And I must say I'm greatly indebted here to a wonderful little essay from C.S. Lewis in 1945. It came out in just a local paper and you know, kind of the, after you get past the sad part that wow, we don't read things like this anymore in the local paper, but what Lewis says right in this great in the whole history of the universe, the laws of nature have never produced a single event. The laws are the pattern to which events conform. The source of events must be sought elsewhere. You see, I think Lewis is absolutely correct. He says, there are laws that explain what happens in the universe. There's an altogether different question as to whether there's an agent who causes those things to happen. You see, so I don't think it's a violation of nature if you say, well, there is a God who made everything. So to put it differently, you say, here's an example. You say, I think everyone in the room would believe $2 plus $2 equals $4. Now, how many, because of that, have an extra four dollars in their pocket? You see, the law, the mathematical law, doesn't cause anything. You need an agent to do so. So those who say, I can't believe this because it violates the law of nature, really are confusing scientific explanation and agency, which brings us then to preface comment B. that those who say, well, this couldn't have happened, are smuggling in a non-scientific assumption. That is, in their view of the world, there is no God, right? You say, well, we all know that God is not a testifiable hypothesis in the laboratory. Say, if that was the case, God would be very unimpressive, wouldn't he? Say, well, here he is. I've just put him under the microscope. Can't you see him? Say, well, no, God's not that kind of thing. He's majestic and infinite. And so what happens, those who dismiss this right away to say, I can't possibly... Uh, you know, go there, what they're really saying is, I've made a philosophical presupposition that there is no God, and given my presupposition, I can't believe something like this. And I would say that's actually, uh, you know, you you should be honest about that, to say I've actually smuggled in a non-scientific assumption I've just brought in, as every view of the world does, an axiom. Now, if God is in your system, if you believe that there's a God who spoke matter into existence, who made an orderly universe, who made each one of us, who actually by virtue of him, his kindness and his grace is allowing us to breathe right now, there is no breach in logic in a passage like 822 to 25. You say, well, God's in the system, he made everything, therefore an agent can break in the very laws that he imposed to do something incredible. You see that? So it's not a breach of logic once your assumption is that there is a God. And the assumption that there is no God does not rest on the methods of science. It rests on what you're feeling or your intuitions, but something other than what's done in a laboratory. So thirdly then, those of you who say, well, this is, you know, these kinds of things don't happen now. I mean, they're a rough day on Lake Erie. You know, I've been out there. You say you can't speak the way. This is a very unusual thing that happened. I say, you've got it right. The very claim that we make is that Jesus Christ is unique, that he's the God-man, that there are things that he did that nobody else does, that he was reconciling the world to himself, that God acted in Jesus. That was his plan throughout. So if you're saying, well, God, you use this guy very differently. That's exactly the point. You remember nothing else about my gospel ministry here. I hope you remember that I taught that Christ was unique. And you leave here today with nothing else. I hope you see that Jesus is unique. Now, again, I don't attempt to prove God to you, but those of you who are a little embarrassed of this, or dismiss it out hand, or a bit confused when these volleys are lobbed in about science, they actually, once God's there, it actually comes together nice, nicely, doesn't it? There's an agent who made anything, everything. He acted special in Jesus of Nazareth, and he's given us this story so that we can learn spiritual truths, which is what we'll do now. So now I will preach, and we'll work out what this means together. So, we uh, will look now at a couple of principles from this incredible story. So what's happening? The disciples and maybe some others get down on the Sea of Galilee where all this drama is taking place. they really not that big of a sea. And a great storm comes. Now, one thing that's interesting, you start reading the extra biblical literature on this, you say, well, you know, it's a lake, the Lake of Gennesaret. What's a storm like? The, the, the secular literature is loaded uh, with stories of storms on the Sea of Galilee, that this was quite a regular thing. You see, the Sea of Galilee sits down in a bowl, actually, even uh, you know, many, many hundreds of feet below sea level, and the mountains surround it, and there are these great ravines that are cut through. So when the winds picked up and they'd cut through those ravines, the storms on the Sea of Galilee uh, would become very violent very quick. And again, this is a non-biblical truth. You know? So those while well, the Bible's all made up, you say, well, something like this gives us pause to say, this happened a lot, that a storm suddenly came. Now, what's Jesus doing? wonderful, isn't it? He's asleep. Have you ever, I guess sleeping on a boat when there are still seas could be quite soothing, but I can't imagine sleeping on a, on a sea when there are violent waves crashing in over the boat. You say, at one level, what does this tell us? say, Jesus must have been exhausted. Say, a wonderful bit of glimpse of his humanity, isn't it? You say, what are Christians going on about the full humanity and the full divinity of Jesus why is that well say a passage like this you say we see the raw humanity of him and we see the power of god in him don't we in just a couple of verses but jesus exhausted and is asleep but i think the point here that i've been thinking about this week is that jesus is at perfect rest with his circumstances we live in a sleep deprived time all the studies especially especially people like our church there's a lot of pressure a lot of anxiety, a lot going on in the world. You say, you're up fretting. You say, I can't sleep as long as I need because the world needs me and my, my company needs me and I've got a lot going on. I've got all these little kids, can't you see? And we, we fret and we stay up and we don't rest. You say, does Jesus teach us something here about rest? He's faced a lot of pressure. The Pharisees are mad at him. The crowds are following him. If ever there's a candidate to you know, be kind of restless and anxious and be sleep deprived, you say, Jesus would kind of take, but not him at perfect rest in the storm of life. I think the point I'd like to make, just here briefly then, my bold heading number one, is that Jesus is at perfect peace in the storm. He rests in his Father. He knows who's in control. And that serenity comes across today, doesn't it? So I hope, say, Lord, I have not. I've been fretting, I've been anxious, I've not been resting. What a counterexample is the Lord Jesus. Jesus is at perfect peace in the storm. Now, these disciples, on the other hand, right? The disciples are in a state of panic. Now, why I find this so fascinating, say, what's their job? Or at least a lot, a number of these 12, we know at least, say, what's their full time, you know, what's their day, what do they spend most of their week doing? <laughs> They're out on this sea. They're fishermen. It is um, their area of expertise, if you will. Say, if there's a, a, a space that they knew well that would have been on the Sea of Galilee, and they're terrified, this must have been some storm. You see verse 23, right? That there's real danger, Luke tells us. It's not to say, well, they've miscalculated the problem and what seems bad really isn't bad. You say, that is not the, the thrust of the say. This is a very serious, violent storm, and those who knew it best, who'd been through this, they're terrified, I want us to think about that too. So what happens when there's an area you know really well? The area where you have what you think the most control of things? And that moment comes where you're in over your head. So I think this kind of gets us there, doesn't it? This week, Friday morning, I was having breakfast with a Christian businessman, and he asked me, he says, tell me about your congregation, you know, and uh, what, what are they like? And I had a lot of, you know, just always that question makes me so thankful, and I have a lot of nice things to say, but inevitably in that question always comes, you know, there's a lot of very impressive people at Providence Church, and I, you know, I'm the least impressive person there, if that helps you understand. So, but what's our tendency then? Say, we don't need God. We got a handle on this. We know what we're doing. We've done a lot of things in our life so we can just manage everything and this lesson comes hard and fast right into our hearts actually there are areas that i know well where i think i have control and i can find myself in real trouble and that's where the disciples are they're terrified say we're going to die so in a word what do they realize they realize they're powerless in this situation and i think this very scary there's nothing they can do to save themselves Say, I wonder, have you been there? Moment in life, go back, you know, bad diagnosis, job cut, miscarriage, scary thing in life, I'm powerless. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Now that moment, that moment in life is a terrifying moment when you realize there's nothing, all your expertise, Everything you've ever known is kind of out the window. You're in real trouble. You say, that is a terrible, terrifying moment. You say, and I think many of us have been there. But it's a wonderful moment if you're a Christian, isn't it? Because it's precisely that realization that I'm a limited person with very little control. In fact, I'm a great sinner claiming that I can control any of this, and, and you know, I need help from the outside. And if I don't get help from the outside, I'm going to perish. Say so that saying. I like that. You know, we are perishing. You say that's not just true for the disciples here. That's true for everybody in this room. You say we're we're going. We we are a decaying, a decaying species. So do we realize our powerlessness? You know, I've heard it said. You're either going into the storm, in the storm, or coming out of the storm. You know, people will talk that way. They'll say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's always something if you hear people say that. Say, it's always something is a way of saying the storms of life come unexpectedly. I put myself there last week. You saw the pipeline spontaneously shut down on the East Coast. You say, those folks had no idea that was coming. The storms of life, they come. There are moments we realize we're powerless, even if we're crafty people, even in an area we know well, and what we need is help from somebody from the outside who's powerful and kind and gracious and in command. So I ask you, times when you feel weak? Remember Sean Moorhead last week? He said, I've had this experience and I've had this conversation many a times. He said, it was all fun and games until that little baby came into the world. And he said, this is serious. I got a job to do here. And this job can't be delegated. And I'm going to really mess up if I don't have help, say loads of things like that. You know, some here again, you can ask the further question. You know, I think another objection we could take on here. You say, well, why, why does Jesus allow the storm to come at all? I mean, if he was really powerful, he just would have spared them. You know, made their life a complete paradise. You see, one reason he might, he does, author the storm, is to fling us back to his breast. That God gives his children adversity so that we're exposed, that we can see our need, that we can see that we need him. And that's what happens to these disciples, doesn't it? That they're absolutely panicked. They're in over their heads. They can't save themselves. They're powerless. And at that moment, they can only do what? Cry out to Jesus. You say, that's the lesson here. You know that proverb, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. say, that's the way we act, we need Christ's help. So Jesus, at perfect peace in all that comes his way because he rests in the Father. The disciples are panicked because they're facing a significant storm in life, so what's the resolution, if you will, and that is, right, to rest in the power and authority of Jesus. They wake him up, you say, isn't that, and they say, I am never at my best when I'm spontaneously woken up. I'm at my worst when I'm woken. You gotta wake up naturally. You're woken up by a bunch of people. You're brought into a situation. And what have? Jesus, just a simple word. And the wind and the waves obey. How many times have we seen that already in Luke's gospel? Jesus speaks and it happens. So very easy for him. He speaks and it's done. And what? Verse 24, there's a great calm. Say a wonderful word, isn't it? The voice of Jesus bringing calm in the storms of life. Say, who does that? Well, only God does that, right? All the Psalms, the Psalm that Denny read and loads of other Psalms say, only God can do that. Say, you got that right. The humanity of Jesus at perfect rest, modeling what we're to do as those in him, and then the power of God at work in his life. And what does he do? He brings the point, and I think this is really the crux of the question that I want to bring to bear before us today. Verse 25 After he rebukes the waves, they immediately obey. He says, you know, where is your faith? I don't think there he's talking so much about a saving faith. What he's talking about is does your faith, does the fact that that, that you're with Jesus actually deliver and kick in in the storms of life? Does it make a difference? You could imagine the disciples here, at one level, they might have thought this was a bit cruel. You say, we, just, we thought we were dying here. I mean, this is, this is serious, and Jesus is gonna get all theological on us. He's gonna go to the category of faith. That's the least practical idea he could ever go towards, his faith. Not at all. Jesus says, actually, this is what really needs to, to kick in. This is what's gonna deliver you. To say there is a faith in Jesus. He's basically asking the question, Don't you realize who's in the boat with you? It's the Lord of glory. You say, you trust me, you're you're in my hand, that the way to dispel this kind of panic is a faith and confidence in what Jesus does in the lives of those who are him. You see, there's nothing, there's nothing too great that we will face that's greater than what Jesus does for his people. That's what we're to see. We need a faith that really matters, that kicks in in the trials of life. Now, I hope none of us walk away and say, well, this, you know, does this passage mean that every time you know, we just say, cry out to Jesus, the storm immediately uh, you know, is taken away from us? Say, that would be a misapplication of the passage, wouldn't it? Say, really, what we're to see is that faith in Jesus delivers us through the storm, that the storms come, but he is the Lord of the storm. And the Lord of the storm should make a real difference with all the stuff that we're going to face here as a congregation in the next 12 months. Rest in the power and authority of Jesus because there's nothing that can face his people that he cannot or has not overcome. Friends, that's the point of this message. We want an active faith that is really applied in the pressures of life. And so I leave you Real danger on the congregational meeting day, not to go long. So I leave you with the question that the Bible leaves us with, or that the disciple, or Jesus, uh, disciples are asking. Right, verse 25: Who then is this? How do you answer that question? Made-up story, maybe somebody say. So I hope if you're not a Christian, you say there are real storms in this life. There are really terrifying things. And there have been moments in your life. You might be in a moment now or there will be moments coming where you have this powerlessness, this sense of powerlessness of the disciples that you need help from the outside. I am perishing. I need help. I hope that if you're there, today's a great day to rejoice and surrender to Jesus. To say, I see what he has done, that he's the Lord of glory, that I have been a sinner. I've not thought about God. I've pumped my fist. I've not done what I, 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 I need what God has done in Jesus, putting him forth as a sacrifice. And I surrender to him today because I see that he will pull me through. And through that, that he, God, will get the glory. To surrender to Jesus today. To allow him to push you through. To have the faith that really kicks in. And that brings me to the second care. Who then is this? Some of us say, well, we know the right answer. I mean, we're Christians, but we're a lot like these disciples. Here comes the bad news. And I fret and I panic, try everything at my own disposal. Instead of saying, God, you're, you're in control. My soul can rest in you. So that's where we want to be as a congregation, isn't it? Who is this Jesus? He's my master and my God. With one little word, he controls everything that as I tuck into him and obey him and delight in his grace, that he will get me through the thickest of things, and in so doing, that I'll find great meaning and purpose in my life and bring him glory, and he will raise us up to be the people that he wants us to be. Oh, friends, the perfect peace of Jesus in the storms of life is not something to be taken lightly. I pray we're those kind as I invite Jim and the team back up. Lord. These storms in life come, many here today in the midst of them. Health concerns, rebellious children, financial problems, our own sin that's gotten in the way. Lord, we need help. We're perishing. Don't you care? Well, today we see you care. You're in complete control. Help us to remember when these things happen, that we say you are, again, the Lord of the storm, and that we would be asking ourselves that question, where is our faith? Who then is this? Is he just some book character Jesus that is? Is he just somebody we give the right, or does faith in him really matter? May we be those kind who rely on him, who trust him, who receive his peace out of kindness from you. May he be lifted high in Christ's name. Amen.
2: Amen. Let's stand and continue worshiping our great God together. that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice. We sing I will wait. I will wait for you.
3: I will wait for
1: From Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. May we have faith in the Lord of the storm. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, honor, dominion, and authority through all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Those of you uh, who would like to stay for the annual meeting, we'll get started in a few minutes, uh, like five, and uh, no no pressure to stay if that's not you. Uh, You're welcome to stay. So thank you very much.